0: Well, good morning to each one of you. Thank you, Janine, for leading us in worship. I agree with uh, Maureen and what she was saying earlier, the decision fatigue that we all feel in one way or another. Uh, One of the things that I feel is now we're live streaming and we're recording it out to the world for everybody to see. What do I wear on a Sunday morning now? And uh, so thankfully I have two daughters at home. They helped me. They were rummaging through my closet this morning, so I take no responsibility for that. And uh, it's all good. I noticed that Maureen and I have something similar going on, which is good. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the pieces. Well, we're in a series called uh, Four Stories, as you know. And if you are new today, welcome. Uh, And if this is your first uh, entrance into this series, hopefully you'll be able to understand the context of what we're talking about. It's, It's a series where we've been talking a lot about. Uh, stories in different ways. And today I want to talk about our postures and our perspectives when it comes to our stories. You know, this week has been filled with stories, as we know. It's been filled with all kinds of stories, from the U.S. President and First Lady being diagnosed with uh, COVID 19 uh, to the horrific story of Joyce Eshaquans Joyce and her death in a Quebec hospital, and a story that raises uh, all kinds of questions around racism and just how people can treat one another. And just it shows the horrific ways that we see the brokenness of our human condition and the things that are going on within us and around us that we can't deny or defend, that we have to begin to understand in some way and to try to process. And that's what we're, we're trying to do in th- this series but this this series and this topic, I think is so important for us as a church it 's important for the church to have uh, these conversations it 's not easy there's a lot of tensions there's things that rise up within us within us, each one of us We're a diverse people, we think differently. we have had different experiences, so we we come at these stories from different perspectives, and we have many different views and One of the things that i 've been very keenly aware of in this series is i 'm keenly aware of the fact that I'm likely disappointing many people on many fronts. You know, it's too bold, it's too timid, it's too controversial, it's too biblical, it's not biblical enough, it's too theoretical, it's too serious, it's too white, it's too slow, it's too long, it's too short. Do we have something better to talk about? I've heard all of those, actually, which is interesting. And that's okay. That's Okay. Which box did you tick? You would have certain ones that, that you would kind of tick off and go, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what it is for me, and that's all right. Let me read you something from our Midnight Brethren Confession of Faith. So as a, conf- as a denomination, uh, we have a confession of faith, and, and there's a, a commentary and pastoral application one version of it that I find really helpful. And in that one, there's this quote. It says this, racial hatred and division are serious issues for the church to address in our time. Various governmental and educational attempts, and I would add social media, have not produced significant results. The reason for this this is that these programs cannot touch the heart of a person, the root problem of racism. But the Church of Christ, with with its message of hope and reconciliation, can indeed make a difference. If the Church does not move to confront racial division and demonstrate an alternative, our message cannot be taken seriously." I found that just a really challenging quote from r MB Confession of Faith and some of the commentary around it. You know, oftentimes churches have been some of the most unhelpful places for this conversation. And it's at times been really difficult. And we're trying to move the dial on that where we can actually create a safe place where it's actually okay to talk about it. Things that are awkward, things that are hard, things that are different. Could we actually create a better context than the media or the broader culture? to actually understand and start to look at some of the underlying issues of racism in light of Scripture and, and place all of our experiences and all of our stories in the context of the gospel, in the context of this incredible story of God and the love of Jesus Christ and his life and ministry and death and resurrection and then critically assess and self-reflect on maybe our own biases, our own uh, racist attitudes or tendencies, if, there are, if they are there, and to try to have a conversation around this that doesn't cause us to just be defensive and dismissive, which sometimes we can do, and oftentimes that is the case for people. But here's the thing, not often, not only is it at times cause us, especially if we're white maybe, to be more defensive and dismissive, but even for people of color or people who are non-white, I, what I have found in this series in talking to people is that it's also a very intimidating topic. It's intimidating because it feels very vulnerable and exposed and wondering if their story is safe. And so I hope and pray that we are creating a safe environment to talk and reflect. I pray that we can be people who can pray for both Donald Trump and for Joyce Essequan's family. You know, it's okay for us to feel uncomfortable In fact, I would say that it's actually necessary for us to feel uncomfortable. And so I hope you feel uncomfortable in this series. If we feel comfortable in this series, there's something wrong, and we're actually not processing it well. And so we need to embrace that. And so we've been talking about four stories. God's story, which you might think of as theology. Uh, We've been talking about my story, which is like autobiography. Your story, which is like biography, and then there's our collective story as a people of faith, which you might refer to as community. And so these stories each have and bring a different perspective. And so per- perspective recognizes that the, the challenge that we all have is that we all have a lens that we see through, we all have a certain Uh, bias that we come from from our upbringing our background our position whatever the case may be that we need to understand and recognize the lens and so stories matter and stories can be powerful they are used to dispossess and malign the stories are used to empower and humanize stories can break the dignity of people stories can also restore the dignity of people stories can inspire and give us hope and they can also lead us to despair When we write another person's story, you might call biography. In other words, when we, when we start to process and articulate what we see and understand of another person's story, what do we see? What's the lens that we look through? Do we see many stories, a beautiful kind of conglomerate of many stories, or do, do we just see a single story? What's our perspective? And I'm going to give you a resource this week. In fact, in your sermon study, guys, every week I'm trying to give some resources that you can look at, that you can uh, uh, click on. There's some uh, articles you can read. There's some YouTube links you can watch. There's some podcasts you can listen to. My apologies. A couple of the links were not live this week. We've corrected that. You can go back and you can see those now. And I'd encourage you to do that. This week in the sermon and study questions, you have a resource there that is a TED Talk. That is called The Danger of a Single Story, and I'd really encourage you to watch that. It is so powerful. A woman by the name of Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie is from Nigeria, and she articulates so powerfully and so well about what the danger of a single story is, and how is it that we need to look at people who are different than us in a different way. And she says the danger of a single story is that it leads to stereotypes and it leads to caricatures of people instead of really understanding the multiple layers of their story which we all have. And when you show a people as one thing and only one thing that is what they become. Whether it's black people or white people or indigenous people or Mexicans or Jews, etc. And so when we when we do this and we typically take the negative stories when we do this, we flatten their experience. And we ignore the many other beautiful stories that also form their experience. And she goes on to say that the single story creates stereotypes. And that the problem with stereotypes is not that they are not true, but that they are incomplete. And that there are many other stories that need to round out the fuller story. And so a single story robs people of their dignity, and it emphasizes how we are different rather than actually how we are the same. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul, he wrote just this beautiful chapter about this ministry of reconciliation that we have been called to. And in in that chapter, he talks about how Christ loves compels us, and we need to stop seeing people from a human point of view, which might be one way to say to stop seeing people from a single story. But that that actually is a broader viewpoint, a, a more beautiful vantage point as we see it through the lens of God in his story. And you could argue that the Gentiles in many ways were actually framed in a single story. And I would say that Paul in some ways brings that out in the book of Ephesians that we've been looking at. And so if you, if you turn there to the book of Saskatonians, I like that. Uh, no, the book of Ephesians the book of Saskatonians is how we apply all this stuff. If you look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, Paul says this. He seems to call out this single story that the Gentiles had been labeled with. If you think about it, the Jews put the Gentiles in a certain category and it kind of framed them in a single story. And we see it in a couple of places in Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 13. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. It's a pretty stark single story. And Paul's almost like quoting how the Jews view the Gentiles. The Gentile, a Gentile, had come to mean nothing good by the Jews. He says a similar thing in Ephesians 4 and 17. He says, With the Lord's authority, I say this live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they're hopeless, hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed mu- their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But the, the beauty of Ephesians, what Paul is doing, is he is articulating God's broader story. is is he is writing, or actually God is writing, but he is articulating and proclaiming a different story, a broader story for the Gentiles and also for the Jews. And we see that in many places, and we've covered a number. And let me read another one in Ephesians 3, 6 and 7. Paul says, And this is God's plan. Both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. And so what Paul is doing is he's, he's telling a broader story. He's saying, you're not just trapped in this single story, you Gentiles. You are a part of something incredible now. God's writing a new story. So these are some of the things that help us to see with a different perspective. And so part of how we move beyond seeing the biography of others as a single story is is we gain actually a new perspective. We need to look and listen from a different vantage point. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually did. Uh, Many people who've grown up in the church, you maybe are somewhat familiar with his writings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian. Um, He died at the hands of the Nazis because he was in prison, because he was resisting the third reich and the hitler regime and writing and speaking against it but what's interesting is when you go back into bonhoeffer's story he was born on february 4th 1906 and he was born to an elite upper class and well-connected german family and to his father's surprise and also to his father's horror he actually went into theology he went to seminary he went to study disappointed his family His context was highly sacramental Lutheran theology, alongside a very highly nationalistic orientation to uncritically combine German identity with Christianity. That was his background, okay? And so he was well poised to bolster and uphold the soon-to-become Third Reich of Hitler. However, after traveling the world and finishing his dissertation, he decided to put off this postdoctoral work and to travel some more. So he ended up in the United States. He ended up at... Union Theological Seminary in New York City, and it was there that he actually established two friendships that radically changed his life and gave him a new perspective. One was with a French student who introduced him to the pacifist Christian perspective that, shaped, that was shaped by the Sermon on the Mount, which challenged him on many fronts, and now he started to read Scripture and understand his theology through the lens of Jesus Christ, through Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection, and that was the framework that he, he looked at, at his life and his theology. The second friendship was a friendship with Franklin Fisher, who was a black student from Alabama, who provided Bonhoeffer an invaluable gift by crossing many racial boundaries to make new friendships and to gain a whole new perspective on faith and the struggles of the oppressed. And through that friendship, Bonhoeffer started to purchase albums of Negro spirituals and was drawn to their power and their depth. And Bonhoeffer also then started reading the writings of black theologians and intellectuals. And he also began to see firsthand some of the racial injustices that were there in America. He experienced with his friend being kicked out of a restaurant because his friend was black. So Bonhoeffer had been given a new set of eyes to see God's story and the story of many others that were very different than his own. You know, most people are familiar with Bonhoeffer's writing from prison and is resistant to the Hitler regime in Germany, but what they often don't know is that he was able to see this injustice and able to see the evil of the Third Reich in a way that most Germans couldn't because he followed Jesus into solidarity with the oppressed. And he got a totally different perspective, whether it was black Christians in America or the Jews in Germany. And he gained this perspective by placing his body literally among those on the underside of the racialized hierarchy. And he gained this invaluable view from below. You know, close to death, uh, he wrote, and in his memoirs, it, it records this letter that he wrote to a trusted group of close friends that included this phrase, and it said this, It remains an experience of incomparable value that we have, for once learned to see the great events of world history from below, from the perspective of the outcasts, the suspects, the maltreated, the powerless, the oppressed, and the reviled. In short, from the perspective of the suffering, personal suffering is a more useful key, a more fruitful principle than personal happiness for exploring the meaning of the world in contemplation and action. So Bonhoeffer learned new perspective, which I think is valuable, so valuable for each one of us. Because you know what? New perspective then begins to change our posture. And posture, if you think about what posture is, is that posture is that thing that other people see that we don't really notice ourselves. You can't see your own physical posture. Other people see your posture. So what is it that is our posture to these topics, these difficult topics that we approach and that we're talking about? And so in Ephesians, and this week, I just spent a lot of time meditating on Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. Those two chapters were were two that I was just immersed in in this week. And what struck me is just the many phrases in Ephesians 4 and 5 where Paul, he talks about our posture and how we are to be as people of God within the community of God and how we are to walk out our faith with a different kind of posture. And so Paul teaches so much on this, both our heart posture and our posture of how we engage other people, especially in difficult conversations. Let me just read you some samplings. In Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 3, Paul says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's fault because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So he's talking about a very particular posture of humility, of love, of patience, of peace. Paul faced all kinds of injustices. He's writing from prison. He was unjustly imprisoned, and now he's writing from there, and he's saying, here's the posture that you need to have. You need to approach injustices from an upside-down kingdom approach, just like Jesus did. Further on in that chapter 4 of Ephesians, he talks about speaking the truth in love. And then in Ephesians Four twenty-three 23 and 24, he says, Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. Don't be angry or use foul or abusive language, he goes on to say. And then he says this one line in the NIV. I, I love how it's worded. He says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And when you look at just that one phrase and the posture of that phrase, what a powerful way to approach a conversation around racism, about the church and the gospel and how those things come together. It's like, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but have such a posture that you actually know the needs of another, that that you would speak in such a way that it's helpful to build others up, that you would speak in such a way that it actually encourages them because it meets their needs in one way or another. And that it benefits those who listen, all those who listen around you. Think about that. When I think of some of the things that are said on social media around these topics and how little it benefits those who listen as you see the splatter that just happens, instead of actually having a posture of humility and grace and love and trying to benefit and understand and bless those who listen. Paul goes on in that chapter and he talks about don't live in darkness with closed minds and hardened hearts. Put on the new nature. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Then in Ephesians 5, he talks about living as children of the light. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases God. Have nothing to do with the fruitful, fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. I really like that verse 13. It says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes the light. In other words, as we, as we bring things out of the darkness and into the light, even in our things from our own hearts, our own attitudes, our own lives, as we bring things from the shadows and, and even in our culture and our society that are dark, and we bring them into the light, God exposes them and He reveals them and He transforms them. And those things can now be used as an actual light and to illuminate the gospel and point people towards Jesus. And so let's evaluate our own perspectives. What has shaped them? What has molded the lenses that we see through? Let's be honest with some of those things. Let's evaluate our postures and be willing to help to allow others to reflect back to us what our postures look like and feel like? Would we have the courage to do that? When someone critiques our story or calls us something or is calling something out in us that we don't like and that we get our back up and we get defensive, could we have a different posture where we actually ask a different question? I know one pastor who said when people critique him, one of the phrases or questions that he asked is he, or what he would say is he would say, I hope that's not true. Because it leaves this openness that maybe there is some truth in that that I actually need to consider. And so that even for us, that we would have a posture when people challenge us or confront us, that we would we would say, boy, I, I hope that's not true. But then maybe we would actually evaluate and assess, is there a measure of truth in that that I need to consider and have a different perspective? Would we be so gracious that when we write the biography of others, that when we actually put our stamp on their story in whatever way we do that and how we verbalize it, how we kind of summarize it in our minds or in our hearts when we make judgments on what other people's story is. Could we do it in such a way that we don't limit them to a single story? That we don't just flatten their experience to a single story, but we actually allow ourselves to realize there are many more stories going on than just maybe the one that I'm seeing right now. That's a different kind of posture that allows us to see each other differently to hear each other's stories differently and I pray that we could do that you know in this series I've I've had to go back myself and just say okay what's the purpose what are we trying to accomplish what's the goal in all this and I share this at the in the very first message at the end and I want to share it again the purpose the hopes of this series are this that that you and I would have the courage and the ability to reflect more deeply and honestly on our own story. That we could actually begin to better understand the biases that we have that have shaped us from our family of origin, from our life circumstances, from the culture that we grew up in. Secondly, that you and I would be more patient and willing and intentional to understand the stories of others. That we would actually seek them out. That we would listen more deeply that we would do that especially for those who grew up in a very different context and have had very different life experiences than ourselves. Thirdly, that you and I would be able to better understand God's story, that we would have a, a deeper appreciation for the incredible story of God and the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would internalize it and embrace it in a way that changes and transforms us. That we could experience and know the love of Jesus in new ways. And that we could model it for other people as well. And then lastly, that maybe we as a church, as a community, that we could write a different story. That we could actually live out and write a different story going forward that would be more faithful to what Jesus always intended. A story that sees the beauty and wonder in all people. That honors God, honors the church, and honors each other. That sees a church that is built up in diversity and unity for God's kingdom's sake. I'm going to invite Janine, if she would come up again. She's going to lead us in worship. And uh, I want to just articulate a few things as we close this part of it. That again, today, there's a number up there that you can text some questions, whether you're in the room or on the live stream. You can text in some questions, and I'll today I'll field a couple of those if you have some for me. Uh, the other thing that you can do, though, is you can text in questions for next week. Next week, Dallas Pelly is going to be teaching, and many of you know Dallas, and I introduced him uh, last week as part of this advisory team, and I've really come to love and appreciate Dallas, and uh, would you just pray for him this week as he prepares, as we prepare our hearts for what God puts on his heart to share with us. But you might have some questions for Dallas particularly that you would actually like him to address and speak to as he comes, and so if you send that text, just put Dallas and then put the question, and we'll just hold those for next week, and as I'm meeting with Dallas this week and we're talking through things, we'll share those with him, and we'll give those to Dallas to share as well. But I would just encourage you to also go on to the study guide. And this week there's a link there that gives a testimony. It's Dallas' testimony. It's a preview for next week. i encourage you to to watch and listen to that. And so let me just pray as we think about these things, as we ponder them in our hearts, and as we allow the Spirit of God to continue to transform us in this series. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the incredible story of God that just transcends all of our stories. And God, help us to have a perspective that is broader than just a narrow perspective that we might be limited to. Help us to intentionally place ourselves in different situations so that we can look with new eyes. Help us, Lord, to have a posture that is changed and that is humble and that is infused by the presence of your Spirit in our lives. God, would you transform us in an ongoing way To change our perspectives and postures so that we can hear and share our stories better. So Lord, this is our cry. This is our plea. Transform us. Change us. Draw us near to you and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.